Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. Hope everyone is having a great start to their week, uh, releasing this episode on, on Monday, December 27th. Hope everyone had a great Christmas, too. I've been very fortunate to have uh, been able to be back home in Cincinnati and work with players uh, at my cage of, of all levels, which has been a, a ton of fun, and then also work with players remotely across the country. So if, if that's something that you know is possibly interesting to you and you would kind of like to take your game to the next level, you know, I'm big on focusing on you know the mental side of the game. We also get into movement, approach, what your um, off-season plan should look like. Send me an email, jonesbaseballtrain at gmail.com. Right now, it looks like I still have a few spots remaining for, for some online clients if anyone is interested. On today's episode, we have Calux Crab. Calux has served as the Texas Rangers MLB assistant hitting coach for the last three years. In this episode, he talks a little about his experience with the Rangers, um, you know, what he is, his job and assignment was on a day-to-day basis, how he goes about evaluating coaches. So I thought it was pretty interesting what he talked about when he's looking for, when he's evaluating a coach and me being a coach myself. And obviously I'm sure that most of, I know most of the people who are listening to this are coaches. It's interesting to hear someone's perspective who is at the major league level and talks a little about how he evaluates a coach. Uh, Calix is not back with the Rangers. He's actually going to be joining a new organization this upcoming year. Those details haven't been released, so I can't say yet, but will be public soon, and I think it's going to be a great role for him. I think he's going to crush it. So um, this is a fun episode. Calix is a great guy. I've been following him online for a few years now, and I, I think it's something that you'll you'll take something away, no matter no matter who you are, coach, player, parent. I try to make it so every episode, no matter where you're where you're at in your career, you're going to be able to take something away. So, ladies and gentlemen, here is my episode with Calix Crab. All right, Calix, appreciate you coming on the show today, man. I tell you what, PJ, thank you for the opportunity. I think anytime you get to speak about the game of baseball, it's a, it's a great opportunity. And so uh, once you reached out, there's no, you know, there's no more excitement that I have than, than, than speaking baseball, man. Well, I, I appreciate it. And I'm excited to get to talk to you and pick your brain with, with all the experience you've had as a player and as a coach. Now, you've been in, you've been in the big leagues as a hitting coach the last couple of years with the Rangers. What's been what's the, what was the biggest takeaway you had from your experience as a hitting coach in the big leagues? Um, well, there's there's a lot. I think the list is long, but if I have to if I have to narrow it down to one thing, um, ultimately major leaguers um, they they're no different than than minor leaguers in in, in understanding um, what they individually need to be successful. I think um, you have to be um, you know willing to have these meaningful conversations, um, you know, which is at times might seem like a daunting task, but getting to know the person and getting to understand what, what they need um, individually and, and, and pulling the right levers um, is something that I learned over the past three years. I think, um, you know, I think hitting as a whole, um, you know, there's, there's these, there's a, there's a debate, this constant debate on, on, you know, should we swing down? Should we swing up? Should we, you know, focus on machines? Should we focus? You, you get the point, right? Like ultimately you have, you got to have a conversation with the individual and um, try to help them, 
develop their own individual system. So what I learned and is more than anything is the individual matters. Focus on the individual and then try to give them what they need. Was it was that hard though at times because uh, I mean you have so many players and I mean you're playing every day you have a, a ton of things to do to get ready for the game and to try to get all these guys ready for the game too like how did you was there a system that you followed in, in helping get each guy ready and like was there a plan before they even got to the park on like what each guy you would want them to go through Yeah so I think we had a really unique system in in Texas that was um you know guided by uh, Louis, um, who had ran, who had ran the ship, the offensive program for the three years. And Louis did a phenomenal job um, coordinating myself and Alex, um, getting us to um, focus on what our duties were on a day-to-day -day basis. And so um, to give you a little bit of context, Louis was the overall philosophy leader. Um, and and um, when, there were, when there were major issues uh, with a particular player, obviously he was the one that was facilitating that. But then my job was to focus on the, the scheduling and the day-to-day -day, um, practice um, designs with early work, um, batting practice, um, things of that nature. And then Alex focused on more of the, the approach or tactical component. And so um, what we did was we, we really did a good job of focusing on our, um, on, our, on our job duties, but also we had the autonomy um, to, to be able to cross-pollinate and, 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 and give the players what they needed. Um, obviously, certain players, you know, attract to, to certain personalities, um, and we and we were very good about understanding that. And so, um, you know, it was it was fun, man. Those three years were was a was a was a great experience for me to to learn and and um, develop some new skills. Um, obviously, coming from the coming from the private space, um, everything was really designed around what what I tried to try to um, to do to create efficiency so that I can um, be good at developing a player and not focusing on running a running a business. And so. Those three years, I, I developed some new capacities that that allows me now to um, to grow in a professional game, and yet also, if I ever wanted to get back in the private space, um, I'll be able to to accomplish it um, quite freely. So there's a lot. The list is long, but I think ultimately, I learned how to become a better, better scheduler, and um, I learned that systems matter. Um, and and in terms of the plans, we we did have plans on a regular basis, um, depending on what the players um, struggle with, you know. Um, when you look at at bat, you know you have a twenty five thirty at bat threshold that you you try to be uh, aware of that you don't want to be reactive to to a particular day. Um, hitting in the major leagues is hard, and so if you're constantly reacting to um, the previous day's um, outcomes, you're going to put yourself in a in a tailspin or chasing your tail, and and that's never good for the player. And so um, from a from a pure consistency standpoint, we tried our best to to be responsive um, based on you know a good amount of data set. That we um, that we allow to compile, and so once we once we we saw that we we developed some plans based off of that. Everybody's different, right? Like so, yeah. Hopefully, that answers the question. No, yeah. Now, when it comes to you designing the practices, would you try to balance it out where it's one day it's machine, the next day it's live arm, or was it? Did the players have say in that? Like, how did you go about building out the practices? Um, their the early works. Yeah, yeah. Each day. Yeah. A little bit of, I think you, you nailed it, a little bit of um, all, of, all of the above. I think, um, you know, getting a sense of what the players feel like they need on a day-to-day -day basis is, is a part, uh, a very big part of the process. Um, they're major leaguers, and so ultimately um, you, you're there to assist and, and service their needs. Um, but also you have to be willing to tell them what they need to work on because there's times that those things are hard. And so, um, you know, in terms of machines, um, we tried our best to, to simulate the day's challenges if we were facing Garrett Cole. We, we, we afforded an option um, for early work that would you know be as close as we could to um, to his pitch types or his pitch characteristics um, with the understanding that you don't want to 
every day beat the beat the hater up. Uh, the hater's psyche is, is is fragile, as you all know. And so, um, if you if you um, too close to game time, or or, um, or if you just beat him up in general every single day, um, it can there can be some negative um, repercussions. Um, so yeah, the machine some days angle bat in practice, um, live arm, so that we can make sure the hitters is developing the capacity to um, to pick baseball up properly and time properly. As you know, there's there's a component to to hitting that's timing is extremely important, and um, I know that um, there's a big push for machines, and I think it's the right push, but we need to make sure that it's a it's a um, a rolodex of, of of options or a, or a, a cascade of events that you're trying to set off so that you can give the hitter the best chance to be successful day in day out and then ultimately over the course of a season. So, yeah, that's how it kind of went. Did you find that players were more open now to being challenged in practice and machines than maybe when you yeah. played? Yeah, I think um, I think there's a big there's a big difference now. I think. The reason there's a big difference is is there's more information as it relates to the hitters' um, gaze behaviors with with eye tracking, um, with also just pure um, bat quickness, um, understanding that that's a component to it. Um, I think hitters are more willing now um, because the information is better. I think there's a there's a better understanding of what a what a hitter needs to do um, from a deliberate standpoint um, to give themselves a better chance. I think um, players want to be challenged. I think people want to be challenged. I think ultimately it's it's our job as leaders and as coaches to to gain insight into the timing of when they want to be challenged. And then secondly, in what manners they want to be challenged. And then our job is to insert, um, whether it be intentionally or uh, unintentionally sometimes, um, some of these new behaviors or practice um, routines that we know um, will help them. So it's it's this constant battle between giving them what they need and what they want. So that's um, that's part of it. When you when you look back on your own career, because you played ten years professionally, what would be something that if you could go back and change in yourself and your own routine and your own game from a hitting standpoint, what would it be? Um, I, I tell you what, it's funny. I I'll answer your question, but I want to provide a little bit of context in terms of um, why you hadn't changed that much. I. I knew at five foot seven that I didn't have the luxury um, to show up every day and just do the things that were comfortable. Um, quite frankly, I struggled in, at, at various times in my career, um, whether it be um, feeling a ground ball properly or um, hitting or even emotional stability. At times, I I wanted it so badly that I, um, you know, my 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 emotions would would get the best of me at times. Not not in terms of like anger, but in terms of um, sorrow. Right, like there were times where I needed to be a little bit tougher. Um, and so um, I think as I look back on my career now, um, I probably should have uh, some things that I should have done more is, is the machines. I did do the machines, but I should have focused a lot on the tactical component, um, though. I, I, I always had a good you know, walk to strikeout ratio, but um, I think gaining more insight into how the pitcher was trying to attack me is something that I probably would have, would have done a little bit more um, once I got to the big leagues. Um, you know, that started to become a thing, but it still wasn't. Uh, like you see now, um, where we can look at look at what a pitcher is trying to do. Um, let's say it's Justin Verlander, and he knows you struggle at the top of the strike zone, and he's going to attack that over and over and over. Um, that's something that I wish I would have um, had access to more, because um, I know I would have taken advantage of it. It's something that I um, that I value a lot in, in helping hitters get better. Now, um, you know, I worked hard though. If I to be honest with you, PJ, I I, I had to. I had, that wasn't an option. <laughs> if I wouldn't have worked hard, I wouldn't have last ten years. Um, and so. Um, 
there's a lot of good things that I see now. And, and a lot of the reasons why I kind of conduct myself this way is because I wanted that. That's what I wanted. Yeah, I saw you. Uh, you played in High Desert for um, out in I California, Adelanto. That was uh, I, I was out there in the Indie Bowl. That's a wild place, man. There's not much going on out there. I know there's a lot of. Uh, uh, we had like inmates who were dragging the field in the seventh inning. So it's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how your it's experience funny. was, but my High Desert experience wasn't as bad. So it's fun. We have some players that the Rangers were were at High Desert at one point, um, but when Milwaukee was there, um, it was actually like the best playing surface in the California league, which is crazy. Cause I know people said that it was like, like um, not that good um, now, but when I played there and it, it was phenomenal, it was a fast infield with, with no bad hops, very good grass, very good dirt. Um, and I went from uh, Beloit, Wisconsin to high desert, which is obviously the Midwest league at the time. I don't know if it still is, but it was the you know, low class A affiliate of the, of the Brewers. And then when I went to the California league, I got better defensively. Um, in Beloit, I made 36 errors, and then I went to High Desert, and I think I made like 16 or so. I, I, I had like a, a reduction in, in, in half of my, um, uh, my, my errors, and um, I got really good. I got named best defensive second baseman in the California League that year, and a lot of it had to do with a better surface. So my High Desert experience was good. I think, obviously, the, the main positives with High Desert is the offense, right? Like you... I learned then um, that the environment wanted you to get the ball in the air. Um, I think um, I always was battling that back in that era because I could run. Um, but I also, um, I, for my size, I did have I did have good impacting of the baseball. Um, and so uh, I had to balance that need. <laughs> um, the Brewers didn't want me to just go to high desert and develop, um, you know, fly ball, um, you know, a fly ball approach. But it, it, it did... Um, I, I got better offensively just because the environment is, is you know, 10 plus points probably on every category. Um, so, no, I, I actually like high desert. Okay, all right. Well, you mentioned defense right there. We got a lot of coaches going to be watching this, listening to this. What what advice would you have in, when it comes to developing infielders and developing better defensive players in general? Um, don't just get, get into repetitive um, practice, um, 10 backhands, 12 backhands. Create nuance in your practice. Um, that's something that my high A coach, um, Mel Queen, God rest him, he passed away. Um, he, he made sure that when we took infield, there was never, um, just a, a routine base infield. Now we did have, that was a component to it, the, the, you know, the block building portion of it. But then we, we always were forced to take, um, ground balls off of live BP. Um, that was big. That helped me out a ton. Um, it got me out of, um, the comfort of, of being able to, um, adjust to the same style of ground ball that was coming at me. Um, so I think, um, that's one thing, um, that was beneficial, I think. When we look at practice now, um, hitting ground balls that were topspun rather than backspun, it's crazy. You watch a lot of coaches hit ground balls, um, and those coaches are hitting ground balls that are not realistic. They're skipping on the grass rather than um, when they hit the grass, they're creating that topspin or tumbling effect that um, forces the hitter to have um, the right pocket um, positioning of the, of, the, of the ground ball or, or the funneling of the ground ball properly. Um, I think that's a, that's a big thing now that um, would help a lot of hitters. So, um, yeah, those are a few things. You know, do, do more dynamic practice and hit top spin versus the good old backspin ground balls. What, what do you, what's your take on, on Ron Washington with his uh, pregame ritual with all of his players? I mean, what do you I think? think I mean, well, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I think obviously Ron Washington is a well-respected name in the game. I think um, there's a lot of insight that you can um, that you can gain from Ron Washington in terms of obviously he was a World Series caliber 
manager, he just missed it twice. Um, I think um, that those routines are good from a block building standpoint, and uh, I have nothing negative to say about them. Um, I do believe that there's more that's probably going on that people don't know about. Um, it's not, I think most people highlight the, the Ron Washington drills as um, the, the, the main focus, but I think Ron is influencing their, their tactical um, strategies, their abilities to um, understand the game. Um, that's probably not talked about enough. And I think it's, it's not giving him um, the full range that um, he should be given. Um, so I think um, without speaking to him, I've, I've, I've seen Ron Washington do his work. I've never spoke with him on, on a personal basis, but I do know people that love him. Charlie Culberson, uh, who played with the Braves, talked very highly of Ron Washington, and he spoke about the background things that um, that he did. And so I think, yeah, there's more to it. It's not just the uh, the ground balls. We'll get we'll we'll have to get Ron Washington on the show and and uh, pick his brain. I'll, I'll watch that one for sure. Okay, I'll yeah, watch that one. No, no doubt. What about the the throwing aspect of infield play? I mean, would you say the majority of the time when you watch infielders, or maybe for yourself, even a lot of the errors you made were from throwing? Throw. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, how would you how do you go about helping a player get better with that when you can only throw really so much? Um, I think part of the reason why there's there's a lot of throwing errors has a lot to do with not understanding internal timing. Um, I think um, hitters. Uh, um, rush when they shouldn't rush and then they don't rush when they need to rush right like so and I don't think rush is the right word but I, I think you get what I'm saying I think ultimately um, you know understanding the hitter that's in the batter's box and, and their foot speed and then in addition to that their swing tendencies um, is a big thing um, you know guys that take bigger swings even if they can run um, they might have some some additional time needed to get out of the batter's box and that on the back end of feeling the ball can afford you, um, you know, the ch- the opportunity to have better footwork. And obviously that'll increase your, uh, increase your, your accuracy of throwing the baseball. Um, I think a lot of um, throwing is being intentional. Something that even with me, as I continue to get better at throwing batting practice, there's things that I have to do to make sure that I'm spinning the ball um, efficiently. As, you know, so, so now something that I do is I throw a clean fuego. Um, I just, that's, that's a, a new part of my program. Um, I throw weighted balls before, I throw my first ball so that I can um, create um, a new and, and different feel um, so that I can um, constantly be working on, um, you know, feeling the ball roll off of my fingers properly. Um, I think just general throwing as a whole um, and understanding um, that component can make you a better infielder. Um, I think a lot of infielders, um, they, they feel the ball, right? Like, but they don't work on um, on that. Some additional things too, I would say, is learning to throw along, along the clock face is an extremely important skill set. Um, you know, releasing at one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock, um, so that you can you can have a broader range to complete uh, to complete th- um, plays. I think that's a big part of it. I think there's too much of a push in amateur baseball as it relates to throwing over the top and only throwing over the top. Um, I think oftentimes, um, even I have fallen into this trap where when I throw over the top too much, I start to cut the ball. And I think um, learning how to drop down the clock face is going to be helpful. For, for moving to your left versus moving to your right versus coming in. Um, those are some some nuances that I think young players need to be building into their games. Um, again, there's for some reason in America, and I don't want to talk trash, but when it comes to throwing a baseball, coaches have this idea that over the top is the safest thing, which as you and I probably know, um, that's not necessarily true. Um, so um, it's like you watch Scherzer throw a baseball and it's like he's going against the traditional ideas, but yet, He's had a career of, of full longevity. Um, this dude can throw 115 pitches, and 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 it's impressive, right? Like um, to to watch him navigate a lineup four times, 
when you know you got Verlander, who's a complete opposite, who throws directly over the top, um, and and he's been healthy as well, relatively speaking. Obviously, these past two years he had a time in giant, but you know at 39 years old, almost 40 years old, um, he's logged a lot of innings in his career, and so there's no rules. I think there's too many um, rules that are that are being placed in when it comes to throwing. So learn learn the best angles that you need to throw from. Learn to throw from different angles, and then really value. Um, you know, even even if it's ten throws, PJ, make ten quality throws across. Oftentimes in practice, people focus on the feeling of the ground ball, but if you can't complete the play, you cannot play in the big leagues. I just want to take a second to remind everyone listening, if you haven't already, head on over to PatrickJonesBaseball.com/slash/develop. If you go there, you'll be able to sign up and receive a, a presentation I made on on timing at the plate and how to help players with timing. So patrickjonesbaseball.com slash develop, and you'll be sent a free presentation on timing and how to help players with timing. What about the mentality? Uh, like, what's, what's your mentality when you're on defense? I don't think that's something that I hear a ton about. I mean, you hear about it, the importance of it when you're at the plate. But when you're in the field, like before the pitch is being thrown, like what what's going on? I mean, I've never really played infield, so I'm kind of curious too. Yeah, so I think um, the first thing is you you got to want the ball to be hit to you. Um, I know um, a lot of players, you know, defensively, um, they're they're thinking about what they don't want to have happen rather than what they want to have happen. So I think the first um, the first baseline um strategy that you should have from a, a pro standpoint is you got to want the ball to be hit to you if you don't want the ball to be hit to you there's going to be issues i think secondly is always you know understanding that there's pauses in in every pitch and so you need to make sure that you're not so engaged all all the time that you you develop this um these air gaps or or, or, or air pockets in your thinking use the use those breaks to just you know give yourself the right amount of time that you need to be locked in. I think another layer to um, to defensive um, effectiveness is, is just always being aware of the scoreboard. I think the scoreboard tells you a lot. Um, it, it lets you know when you should be taking chances when versus when you shouldn't be taking chances. I think um, that's, a, that's something that isn't talked about enough, and, and maybe it is, but I don't hear it talked about enough, um, that the scoreboard will tell you, you know, how, to, how to go ahead and complete a play. Um, I think um, in, in addition to that is just always being aware of the, the hitter's tendencies, but also your pitcher's tendencies, knowing where their highest percentages of ground balls. Obviously, in major leagues, you have data that's populated every night. And so um, the, the ranges are much tighter and the effectiveness of defensive um, you know, positioning and efficiency is far greater. But I think learning how to do that in an amateur game um, will give you a step, you know, give you a step ahead of, of your competition and making you um, more effective as, a, as an infielder. If you're someone that knows that you don't have good range to your, to your arm side, you need to make sure that you're anticipating more to your arm side than you are anticipating more to your left side, right? Like, and, and, and in addition to that, it's just, you know, always trying to, to land in a position of strength, um, you know, timing it, not being there too early, but landing when the ball is getting into the hitting, hitting area um, so that you can have this, um, this, this smooth domino effect when the ball comes off the bat um so those are those are a few things there's a lot right there's a lot that you can that you can talk about but i think those four or five things would be would really service the needs of younger players as they try to develop um you know their their, their defensive capacities and something that like when i first got into pro level i was terrible at to be honest with you i i struggled um with, with these particular components and i think as i continue to develop into an adequate infielder i mean i was i was i was good 
but it took me a lot of time to get to that point. And I, even as I, my last year um, playing, I still even had moments where I was, I was still learning new things. Um, so yeah, those are a couple of things. No, that's, that was great. That was really good stuff. I remember I was talking to Paul Yanish and he said, you know, the, the enemy of an, of an infielder is anxiety and um, kind of just what you're talking about right there. But I think I'm, I'm so happy you brought up there of, especially at the amateur level, like, cause you don't hear it a lot, like the situation, like the score, like who's on the mound, the tendencies, all that stuff. It's just, it's completely overlooked because we're just obsessed with throwing hard and hitting as hard as possible. When like those parts of the game, as you well know, better than even than I do is like, is so important even at the highest level. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. Cause I think it is important to continue to educate younger players on the, on those parts of the game because they're they're so important and they're not talked about very much but again you keep preaching the good message and uh, you know I think coaches will follow no I, I think you're you nailed it man like it's it's easy to look at the things that we know we can see like we can see someone working hard we can see someone taking 15 ground balls right like and there is a component to that right this you know block building or block programming the things that you need to be able to repeat but the problem is and we need to have the extension of that right like when the game starts um it's funny tiger always talks about this he's like he's probably going to only encounter in in throughout the course of a of a you know pga tour season four or five truly buried lies in a bunker um, but you have to have practiced those in order for you when you're confronted with it to be able to, you know, to, to know how to, to deal with it. And the reality is it's probably going to happen in a very critical po- point in the golf, um, golf match. Um, and so it's, it's just like baseball. If you've never practiced, you know, um, you know, a new, a nuanced play or when it comes down to the ninth inning, being able to control heart rate because you've went through every single important layer that allows you to not become anxious um then at the end of the day you're gonna you're probably gonna falter if you haven't practiced those things um and it always happens in critical moments (laughs) and that's where parents i think parents need to be and i'm speaking this particular to parents because they often want to pay for lessons um and look lessons are are a critical piece to helping a player get better because you want to learn from 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 people that know what they're talking about but um, I think the coach on the back end of it needs to always be get, making sure the players are aware that um, how you're going to become good is being able to adapt to a dynamic environment. If you're if you're practicing things that are just routine all the time and and never challenging yourself beyond that, you're gonna you're gonna get caught with your excuse, with your pants down. <laughs> you know, for a poor for a poor example, but like uh, or analogy, like that's gonna happen. You're gonna get caught, and it's happened to me. It's happened to me. I was anxious. There's time, many times in my career I was anxious. Um, and you don't want to be an anxious baseball player. Because when people are looking at you and you become anxious, ugly things happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned earlier about how, you know, in America here, everyone's obsessed with throwing over over the top. And I'm kind of curious to hear about your background and how you were taught when you were growing up. And can you take everyone through just kind of you know, could just hear a little bit of your background, where you grew up, and then how that kind of transitioned into coming to the United States. Yeah, so I'm originally from the Virgin Islands, St. Thomas. Um, I was very fortunate, um, even though our island nation isn't um, the biggest uh, hotbed for, for, for baseball players, we do do a pretty decent job per capita of um, players that actually get into professional baseball. But 
you know, as a boy growing up, I was very fortunate. My uh, my Lily coach, Sam Daly, um, was very much into the proper fundamentals. Um, and I did learn to throw over the top from him, if, if to be fully transparent. But I think, um, you know, one thing that I always did as a boy is I watched, I watched a lot of baseball. Kids don't necessarily do that as much anymore. Um, there's, there's other, and I get it, there's, there are other entertaining um, things that they can do um, that takes them away from looking at the game. But if you look at the game, you start to see a lot, of, a lot of things that are cool. There's clues that are always being left for you. And so as a boy, I would see Roberto Alomar throwing um, from multiple angles. I would see Omar Vizquel throw from multiple angles, right? Like I would see Ray Ordonez throw from, and I'm calling those names because those names are elite, elite infielders. These were guys that had the ability to, to not only make the highlight play, but they made the routine play. And there was always nuance to it. Now I know what it means. And so as a boy, I tried those things. I tried a bare hand. I tried to throw from, from you know, being beneath four o'clock on the, on the clock face. I tried all those things. And ultimately, it, it, it broadened my range. And so when I moved to the States um, and, and I was confronted with, a, with a, you know, a player by the name of Brandon Phillips on, the, um, on my travel team, um, Brandon was the shortstop and he could throw from every angle. And so you start realizing that it's something that... Um, is, is, is not that you're going to mess around and throw from those angles all the time, but you, you got to have the capacity to do it. And so obviously, you know, growing up in St. Thomas, there were some other things that I developed beyond just that, but it's like I developed toughness, um, you know, having less access to, to things that, um, you know, most kids in the States, you know, have access to. If you're playing baseball, you probably, for the most part, you're probably coming from a pretty affluent, um, you know, or socio, um, you know, economic, like a good background from, from, from that standpoint. And so for me, I developed some of those um, necessary, um, you know, mental toughness, um, you know, aspects of the game that I just needed. So ultimately, the game has been really good to me. And, and I, the reason it's been is because I grew up in St. Thomas. I, I had to become very creative with my practice schedules. I hit rocks as a boy growing up. I hit, um, I hit bottle caps. I, I threw rocks. Um, I tried to hit bottles with with the hum, with tennis balls. I, 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 I had a very diverse portfolio of, of options. Um, and that's why I got good. And I think that's what we're realizing now in a space of skill acquisition. It's not necessarily that you have access to always good instruction, but you have access to diverse instruction. I think that's an extremely important thing. And I think parents get too, too stuck in the ways they want, or players, not just parents, but they, they want comfort. They want the coach that's going to tell them that, hey, this is a swing. This is a good thrill. But dude, like, your coach should be challenging to make mistakes. And I think that's the problem with instruction um, in the States is, is, is a parent wants their kid. They're paying for consistency. And I understand that. But you should be paying for challenge. Personally, you should be paying, you should be paying your instructor to create a diverse and dynamic environment that forces your player or your son or daughter to become nuanced in, in their ability to perform. I think that's extremely critical um, to helping them become good. Because nothing in the game is programmed or pre-programmed. It's all very unique and fast-moving, um, every sport. Um, and if you haven't trained them in that capacity, you're going to have a robot who's going to be emotional and un- incapable of performing day in and day out. Yeah, they're, they're going to fail and they're going to look around and be like, What's, I've never felt this before. I've never felt uncomfortable before. For at least in, the, in a blocked environment, you can – stop and talk to them when they start struggling there but like once the game starts whew, there's no stopping you know what I mean so are you still working with players I know you said you you had your you had a business before you went signed with the Rangers are you still running the business or like how is that working so right? yeah, 
I, so, so I would say I go up to um, so the group that I'm a, I'm a part of, Diesel. Um, I'm not running my business um, full time. Um, it's more of like um, I'm consulting with them. Um, so I come into Diesel. I'm there available. Um, you know, I work with one or two kids. Not enough to say that it's like full, full time, not even close. But um, I really am always there for Diesel um, when, as it relates to the pro athletes. And there are, um, I'm going to get myself in trouble, but there is some, um, there are some younger uh some amateur athletes that i do spend time with but i don't go super crazy anymore yeah so before you signed with the rangers were you doing that you were doing that full time i was i uh, i had a full you know um s corporation i had um you know i had everything um organized and scheduled and and yeah it was it was fun i developed a lot of my um my ranges to to deal with different you know uh, personalities and, and different skill levels and um, it was cool. I had eight-year-olds all the way up to the major league all-stars, so that was fun. What What made you want to get into pro ball as a coach? Well, uh, it was honestly speaking, it was a very um, spontaneous uh, event. If I were to be honest with you, I think um, I didn't I didn't seek it out. Um, I was very, you know, I don't want to use the word comfortable, but I was very happy with the direction that my uh, my business was going. I, I had a a unique um, business model in, in in that I use hitting to um, service the needs of, of the individual um, emotional um, capacities and, and use the hitting as a conduit to, to life skills. And that was kind of like my, uh, my strategy. And obviously, you know, I felt like I was a good hitting coach, but um, when Chris Woodward became the uh, manager of the Rangers and him and I had played together, he's someone that I, um, that I admire, someone that I consider one of my, um, gr- you know, greatest um, assets in terms of, you know, life development and life perspectives. He, uh, he wanted to interview me um, to become um, potentially a part of the major league staff. And um, he, reached, he reached out and he said, hey, uh, the Rangers are going to give you a, a call and you're going to go through the process. Nothing's guaranteed, obviously. I know we're friends, but you come in and you show them what you got. And, and I went through their leadership group. And a week later, they, uh, they called me back and said, hey, we want to we wanna offer you the position to be our assistant hitting coach um, for, and for very specific reasons. And so um, I went on that journey. So it was very, um, very organic. I, I didn't seek it out and, and, and I really enjoyed it. So I think as I move forward in my, uh, my career, um, I'm definitely going to be in the game. Um, I think I've, um, I've shown people my, uh, my capacity to, to lead um, players and, and, and now in a capacity, you know, you know, in a future where I can help develop coaches as well. That's something that I'm very passionate about because I believe that Coaches protect the the sacred environment of, of helping players improve. So if coaches are continually getting better, and I'm servicing them and, and, and sacrificing myself, and I'm gonna I know I'm gonna get better. And then I also have the extension of the player, who ultimately we rely on to um, to win games and and um, lead the environment that we that we want them to um, or lead the environment that we're trying to design. So yeah. How do you go about developing coaches? I mean, I assume obviously you got to get them to to trust you, and you know they got to feel like you genuinely care about them. But when it comes to, like after that, like is there a is there a system that you have when it comes to developing them, or like how do you go about that? Yeah, so I think I think um, coaches, um, you know, developing coaches look slightly different than obviously developing um, players. I think ultimately with coaches, you're trying to create. Um, the, the capabilities to, to reach a, a, a diverse audience. And so, you know, providing them with, with items or, or tools to, to expand their leadership capacities is extremely important. Um, and so obviously I'm constantly 
um, diving into information. There's there there are there are great leaders that are you know information is always available. There's books, uh, and so for me ultimately I'm trying to not only in, enhance their their technical capacities, um, but I'm, I'm I'm also trying to develop their their leadership capacities. Um, and and so that's one that's one way to do it. I think um, you know putting together a system of of giving them feedback is extremely critical to um, to their development as well. Um, letting them know where their their greatest strengths are and wherever they might have any weaknesses, giving them tangible feedback, um, both binary and um, word-driven um, is, is extremely important. Um, being intentional about that feedback, being compassionate about that feedback too um, is, is extremely um, critical piece to it. So, um, you know, I won't get into the exact details, but I think you can, you can imagine, um, you know, a report card or a progress report um, based on, you know, the, the values of the organization, the values that I have on a personal level, um, so that they that they understand you know what the expectations are, but also part of that is help giving them the 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 autonomy to be able to to coach in a manner that allows them to use their experience. I think coaches need to be empowered to to using their own individual experiences to 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 respond to the needs of the individual player and the group is an extremely critical piece to the puzzle. Um, you know, it's 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 as much as I want them to, I would like not want, but I would like for them to to follow a you know a blueprint a template. That isn't always the best thing for the player. Um, I think we know that we live in a very dynamic world now, um, and and giving and empowering the individual to um, to read the, the temperature of the room and turn the thermostat in the right direction. Um, to use an analogy, is an extremely um, critical piece to the puzzle. So I think it would look like that without getting into to exact details. Um, yeah. That's kind of like my thought process. You know, one of the things I was thinking about the other day when it comes to evaluating coaches is, is baseball is so unique in the sense that in football, right, where it's like you evaluate, it's just wins and losses at a certain point, right? It's like, did you win? Like, are you going to a bowl game? You know, Nick Saban's obviously one of the best. And then we talk, well, why is he one of the best? Well, because he just wins games year in, year out versus as a, a baseball coach, like a hitting coach, for example, how do you go about e- evaluating someone who it's maybe not necessarily statistical objective information driven like how do you quantify a good coach like isn't that really hard to do isn't it really subjective it's very it's very challenging to do because there are good hitting coaches or good coaches that lose right like we got to be honest right like um in baseball it's it's less about the x's and o's and it's more about and that's a part part of it right like but but not every um, positional coach or, um, you know, um, specific department is going to be um, evaluated based on the outcomes, right? Like, I think there's a component to Some people say a coach is only as good as his players, <laughs> right? Like, that's that's something that is thrown around. But I do believe you can evaluate them. I think um, when you have these values in place, um, and these values um, sometimes are concrete, but or oftentimes they're more of an umbrella um, objective, um, you know, coaches have any you know, I think of them as soft skills and hard skills, right? So um, you have certain soft skills, like you know, someone who is a good, you know, a, a good communicator, um, someone who is empathetic, someone who is patient, um, someone who is um, willing to examine themselves. Those are some of the soft skills that we, that we as leaders need to have. And I think there's some other hard skills, right? Like the technical aspects. Can that person um, design a, a program that that services the needs needs of the player? And and their their range of designing a program. Um, is broad. It's not very one uh, one track driven or um, not. Um, hold on, I just got a message. Cool. Um, 
uh, or not, um, you know, just focus on one particular aspect. Um, that's that's a part of it. I think um, another thing that should be evaluated is the commitment of the coach. Um, the commitment in the sense that they're that they're there day in and day out, um, and they're able to set aside their own individual um, struggles. Because us as coaches, we we struggle too. It's not just a player, right? Like the player um, is a part of it. Um, but I think we have to, the good old analogy, you know, when you're flying in a plane, if the mask drop down, you have to be able to take care of yourself in order to take care of others. So you got to put the mask on first. I think a coach has to have the, have the ability to do that. And, um, and so those are some hard skills um, that, that we talk about. Um, and so I think you're evaluating that more so than the stats. The stats, if you create an environment that is compassionate and empathetic and, and, and committed and good, well-designed, at some point, you're going to be able to nudge a needle. Um, the development of the team. And though you, you ultimately want to get more wins and losses, I think um, it needs to be a nice mixture of, of, of those, um, those principles, soft skills and hard skills. And then you're letting, you're letting the, the data um, suggest that those things are changing. And sometimes it's big and sometimes it's small, right? Like um, just because you sign, you know, a player to a contract don't mean that they're going to help you win more games. It's a slow ascend sometimes. So yeah, I think that's how. I, I don't know if that makes sense. I kind of bounce no, yeah, around. Was, but... that, yeah, no, that was really good. Ha, have you ever had trouble with a player or a coach not buy into what you were want getting trying to get to, and what did you try to do to mend that? I think yeah, I, I have. I think I think um, not just coaching, but I think in life you're always going to come across um, individuals that aren't as motivated as you, and that's a real that's a real thing. Um, some people. And you can you blame people? Some people want comfort, um, and 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 that's you know they're focusing on on a, on a long term vision. Um, they're thinking of retirement, and um, they're going to do what they have to do on a daily basis to to, to make that become a reality. And so um, I think um, that's always a challenge. I'm a highly motivated person to learn. Um, I you know I I'm always thinking about what's next, and there's there's pros and cons to that too, right? Like some of the cons are. Oftentimes, your your coworkers or your um, or some people that you know might see you as trying to short them up, and I'm not saying that this has happened, but but this could easily happen. Um, and ultimately, um, you have to have the ability to be um, compassionate and humble in the opportunity to, to to work with someone, and and try to gain insight into why they might be afraid to uh, to develop. Um, that's 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 oftentimes why people um, don't act is that they're fearful. Um, sometimes they don't think that they have the ability to, to grow more. They've, um, you know, they've grown too strong in their ways. And so they, they're not even going to attempt to do it. So I think part of it is trying to gain insight into, into that, but also as you go about trying to improve making sure that you're, you're doing it in a, in a very humble way that you're, that you're not trying, not trying to show them up and, and, and you're not using arrogance, um, as a part of the equation. That's an extremely critical, um, piece to the puzzle is, is you're balancing this desire to grow with also trying to bring others along for the ride because you know that growth is, is life and growth is joy, right? Like um, those, are, those are very critical pieces um, to the environment. And so those are some things. So yeah, I have struggled. I have struggled with, it, with that. So I don't know. I think there's another piece of the, um, the question. I can't remember it, but I think ultimately with coaches, that's or, or coworkers, that's the um, that's the part of it, and I guess the player is the other part of it. Excuse me. So the player is is different, right? Like players are motivated by different things. Some people are motivated by 
the love of others. Some people are motivated by the love of money. Some people are motivated intrinsically by just improving. I think that's that's a part of it where people just want to see incremental improvement and they're willing to make the sacrifices necessary to see that improvement. And I think your job, again, as a coach or a leader is um, is really to make sure that you're that you're analyzing those things and you're you're positioning those um, those insights accurately um, that you're not you're not bucketing every individual um, the same way. Right. Like and that's that's what makes coaching hard is that you have to put on multiple hats. You have to be a psychologist. You have to be a practice design. You have to be good at analytics. You have to be good at biomechanics. You have to be good at, um, you, you, you get the point. You have to be good at gameplay. There's so many things that you, in order for you to become an effective coach, you have to constantly be expanding your horizons. And that's not easy because you still have a life to live. You still have a wife. You still have kids. You still have, you know, there's a lot, right? Like, um, and so I think the first piece is always taking care of yourself. Um, you're giving yourself the necessary time um, to breathe, to to slow down the heart rate, to build up your HRV, um, you know, to use some technical terms. But uh, and then the next step is 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 always looking at the environment and, and analyzing it very in a, in a very individual siloed way that you're not just creating a, a, a umbrella approach to, to everyone and, and everything is very nuanced so yeah that was fantastic i <clears throat> loved everything you said there especially with the growing piece you know if you're not growing you're dying and so i think you have to be continuing to to adapt and evolve and uh, one of the things i i've been i like listening to football coaches a lot um not i not necessarily like watching football but i like listening to them and i was listening to the jets head coach and he was talking about, you know, getting players to, to buy in, you know, as a younger coach, head coach, when he didn't have a ton of experience. And he's like, if you can show players that you can make them better and you genuinely care about them, they have no choice as a human being but not be able to reciprocate that back into you. Sure. And I think 100%, like, I agree with that. I, that. That's just from my own experience, too, where it's like, if humans are humans and it's like like you said earlier i think you've mentioned it where you if you if someone feels like they're trying to talk over you or use words that clearly you have no idea what they're talking about like that eh, they don't genuinely care about me they're not trying to really help uh versus you know trying to be on the same page and use the same language that they can use and and quite honestly just being available right like just hanging out in the cage or you know, asking guys if they ever need anything, like little stuff like that day in and day out, I think is way more impactful than just throwing up words on a, on a wall or something like that and saying, you know, we care about everybody. And it doesn't necessarily like create that, that connection between the player and the coach, in my opinion. I think you're, uh, I think you're spot on. Um, I think you have, you have this, um, this reality, right? Like, the best leaders, the best coaches, they, they ask the, the best questions and they ask the right questions. And those questions are based um, on a set of facts. Uh, one of those facts are is you're trying to gain understanding into the individual's thought processes and their um, what, what's, what's their motivations. Right. And that, that's what it comes down to. I got, I got one last question for you. I want to be respectful of your time. I know you're you're at home. It's the off season with your family. I know, I know that I get the travel part. It's, you know, it's a long year. So I want to be respectful. Last question. <clears throat> if, if you could look out into the future, like how would you want people to view Calix as a, as a coach? 
Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think um, I want people to think of Calix Crab not just as a good hitting coach, but as someone who is effective at peeling back the layers of an individual and trying to get them to be their best version of themselves. I mean, for me, I'm just fortunate that I get to use hitting as that that um, catalyst to that type of um, development or opportunity. But I just want to see people be the best that they can be. And again, I'm blessed that um, I'm blessed that I get to use the game of baseball to do it, and um, that's all I want. That's awesome, man. I, I appreciate you coming on. It's been a lot of fun. I've been following you. I've been, uh, you know, I watch all your golf swings when you're when you're going golfing, and it, you got a good looking swing, man. You really do. So when you started bringing up some of the golf stuff earlier, I was like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. I've seen him swing a golf club before. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, yeah, I, I enjoy the game, and um, I'm really getting better. I'm, I'm working towards a hopefully a scratch handicap, not not too far in the distant future, but um, I still have those days where the game of golf. It's a lot more challenging than, than my swing makes it look. So, <laughs> Awesome, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks, PJ. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Hope you enjoyed this one with Calix Crab. If you haven't, please head on over to wherever you're listening to this podcast, Spotify, iTunes, and subscribe, rate, leave a review. That helps get the word out to more and more coaches and parents and players so we can keep spreading this word and and helping more players along the way. Hope everyone enjoyed this one and see everyone next week.